I think we get getting into the discussion around free will, yeah. decision making. So if I now uh, say, kind of in a radical way, we just threw free will out of the window, yeah? that's a very interesting statement. What is particularly interesting is that which is struggling with it. Something like, yeah, but, but I make the decision. There's free will here. That's the object of refutation. So it's a good way to kind of trigger the the feeling of there is a permanent decision maker somewhere here, like a control center. Uh, so it, it's a little, it's a good little trick to to bring that forth. Yeah? But of course, that that does not answer the question: <laughs> this, uh, if is there free will or not? Yeah, I think sometimes it's good, you know, to go into this. Okay, oh, sure. I mean, when an like an ordinary person, what we could call an ordinary person, says the idea of free will of an ordinary person is crap, because so an ordinary person, a little exaggerated, feels I can make the decisions. I'm in control. I decide if I go right or left. And I have choice to go right or left. But we you know through the Madhyamika thinking and through our own investigation, we have found that there is not that I which could make a decision like that. Uh, but yeah, so that, that kind of, when, if I would say, no, there is no free will, there is no, you can't make decisions, then that is more like a, a critique to that kind of thinking, to that kind of feeling, which is a complete illusion. And it does not take long to kind of wonder about this. I mean, if I would have free decision around my thoughts, I would just not think 99% of my thoughts. So... How can I ever claim that I that I think my thoughts? Yeah. It can be uh, it's the same for feeling. And decisions, you know, decisions. It's wow. I mean, I make so stupid decisions, <laughs> and am I am I not forced out of habit, for example, to go right? So the the decision to go right appears because I'm just used to go right. So it has causes and conditions. It's not in that moment I decide, yeah, I go right. No, I go right because it's, it's habit. And it's a habit because I have done it before, and I've done it before, and I've done it before, and my ancestors have done it before and before, and it's maybe somewhere even in my genes that it is good to go right. Yeah, I don't know, it could be something, some evolutionary advantage, something like that. Challenge that idea in you. So then personal responsibility is an alcoholic responsible for go to the, to the shop 
and uh, and uh, by uh, to how do I call it? Bullock? No. Sustainable lager. Is he responsible for that? Could you say to that alcoholic, you are stupid, why do you do that? Just decide differently. You are responsible for this. And actually you need to be punished for it because you, it's your decision. You could decide differently. What? He gets punished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. Uh, he does not get punished. It's just causes and conditions. So if you drink, you will have a hangover next day. But there's no... It's not a punishment. Yeah? So they are also... You know, so this idea that, that we are free to make decisions. Uh, we have to really kind of... Uh, be a bit more sophisticated about it, about it. So but within that, within within uh, within that, all of that, to to preserve a sense of personal responsibility, a sense of you are you, you are a sense of that there is a certain and it's difficult to point that, but a certain responsibility to act in the most constructive way as possible. Yeah, so, so that, so, so in a kind of, in, in the conventional, in the conventional superficial reality, it's good, it works to assume a certain kind of responsibility and a certain kind of sense that you make the decisions. How big that space is, that is of course different. I mean, if you are deaf, then you can't decide, I want to hear. If you are, if you are coming from a family which has a, a, like a history of uh, psychotic breaks, then that will, that will influence the way you the, the way the way you can take that responsibility so it's not like yeah i have responsibility and i can you know so for functioning in daily life and practicing uh, on on that level it it it's the best is just to say okay i i decide yeah uh, but if you take that not so solid, it might help also to be less judgmental towards yourself and others. Yeah. Like, like less judgmental to the alcoholic. Yes, because less judgmental to, uh, uh, to people who commit crimes. Because we are innocent, all we are innocent in a way. Then that that would be one one word to uh, to connect with Buddha nature. We are all born innocent, and it's not your fault that you grew up in a in a in a in a family uh, where you no know, where patterns existed from previous generation 
which generated which generates some fears and some some insecurities or some some greed in you it's not your fault but on the other hand you can become aware of it and you can maybe increase the field of choice the field of uh, the field where you can starve unhealthy habits and increase positive habits that's what we do the Dharma practice so there is a certain a certain window of more freedom more choice which we can nurture but then of course if i would now uh, kind of try to deconstruct that again i would say yeah but that possibility that you have to be connected with the dharma is is not falling from the sky it's causes and conditions you have created the causes of, i mean you the the causes of con the causes and condition for being able to sit here and listen that's not your choice it has it has causes it's, a, it's not falling from the sky so it's it, it's uh, it's difficult to kind of pinpoint you know in this kind of in the thinking of dependent origination and in the in the discovery that there's no control center to maintain a sense of um, responsibility a sense of freedom practically in daily life and for your practice it's good to assume that freedom yeah enormous pressure when I was young because uh, I was born both my parents were existentialists mm. and so uh, from a very small age they, they told me you are born totally free mm. you can become whatever mm -hmm. it's all up to your own choices yeah. and that was uh, in a yeah. way it's, it's like in the middle again in a way it was a good teaching, mm -hmm. but uh, it is also an enormous responsibility, mm -hmm. and I have not always felt free to yeah. uh, that I have made free choices. Yeah. So it's yeah. in the middle. Yeah. So maybe we, we could kind of settle uh, into let's try to find the middle way yeah. between what ordinary people say is free choice mm -hmm. and responsibility, and the the nearness uh, so that's like to find that middle way but then kind of uh so f as a kind of as a compass in our life but then to really point to something like freedom and it, that would be difficult you wouldn't find like the freedom center somewhere like the decision center which is free to make decisions. Yeah. So these teachers, they go really, really deeply against everything that is reward in this society today. Is uh, what about that is that the people yeah. take up in this society today? Because today. You are just a big eye 
You can be whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. You have thousands of people teaching like Guru how you get this. Also, you have get the thousands of books, sattva books that you can become yourself and really do whatever you want. So this is absolutely contrary. Yeah, it's questioning all of that, yes. And one of them, just to give you an example, is that in order to have a certain, re a certain result in the future, you need to create the appropriate causes for it. So uh, if you want to have water in the future, you, that is not falling from the sky, so you need to create, you need to, well, another, another way to put it is, from an apple seed can't spring a plum tree. It's not like randomly connected with each other. So are you looking for that kind of laws? So this is like cause and effect. Uh, uh, this is one of the kind of logic uh, argumentations within Buddhist thought about rebirth. So this moment of awareness, yeah, so this is a moment of awareness, we are aware. Yeah? I mean, only hardcore materialists <laughs> deny that. So this moment of awareness, the cause of this moment of awareness needs to be in the same kind of line, in the same kind of substance. So it needs to be a moment of awareness. Like only an apple seed can, can give birth to a, a, a... An apple tree can only be born from an apple seed. So this moment of awareness we, we experience right now depends on the moment of awareness we had just a second before. Just a second before. It, so that's like the, the chain uh, yeah, of, of causes. So then you go to this morning. So this moment of awareness is caused and conditioned to that chain. And then you go through the night. I mean, the way you woke up is uh, coming from dream consciousness. Yeah? And then you... And the dream consciousness came from the, 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 aware, the consciousness which was present before you fall asleep and so on and so on. So you go back, you go back. So the moment of awareness right now, the, 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 uh, it's like a, a chain of events of the same kind of substance. Yeah? And so you go, you go, you go. 10 years, 20 years, you go back to your birth. So you know, the, the moment of awareness, you know, when you first opened your eyes, of course, that's connected with the awareness of you had in the, in the womb. Yeah? It's, I mean, they know that now, yeah? that there's some connection. Even experiences they are you know, carried to birth and into, into life. So, uh, so then you trace back, you know, trace back five months, six months, 
two months, you know, one moment of awareness and then the next moment of awareness. Because in Buddhist thought, nothing can just happen without causes. Yeah? So, and the cause needs to be in the same kind of substance, in the same kind of Yeah, I, I can't think about a better, better word. So, then you go, you go back. So, a materialist would say, I don't know when exactly, but a materialist would say, at one point, after the fertilization, and there's some cells coming, I don't think there's already aware, consciousness or awareness in the materialist view, and at one point, I don't know how many cells needs to be there. Probably they think there needs to be some, the beginning of a brain or something. So, and suddenly, out of nothing, matter is so complicated that it can create consciousness. And for Buddhist thinking, that's not possible because matter is some different substance. It can't be the cause for consciousness. That does not make sense. That would be like an apple seed giving birth to a, uh, to a plum tree. Uh, so uh, uh, that's, the, that's the, you know, the, uh, the first Buddhist thinker who did what I just tried to explain is Tamakirti, the logis logician Tamakirti. In, 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 uh, it's an important, uh, uh, important master in the logic teachings of Tibetan Buddhism. So, so a, a Buddhist thinker would think, okay, so the moment of awareness, moment of awareness, so moment of awareness, and then you have the fertilized egg, moment of awareness, moment of awareness, so, and then there's the moment where the egg and the sperm meet. And then the question is, where does the awareness come from? Where does awareness come from? If for, for their kind of thinking, for their kind of logic, it can't become from the atoms in the egg and the sperm. That, that does not work for them. Yeah? So, and then you ask, okay, where does that consciousness, awareness, where does that come from? And th the answer they have is, it comes from a moment of awareness, which comes from a moment of awareness, which comes from a moment of awareness. And you can't, and then they also say, I mean, a Christian would say, at one point in this chain, uh, God created the soul or the awareness. I'm not sure what idea they have. If, if God kind of sends the soul in that moment of conception, or do, do, do Christians believe that the fetus has a soul, or do they throw it just on the garbage? I don't know. Uh, but but, uh, but uh, they do believe that. The, it has a the unborn has but it too. If it is, when it's born, if it is not uh, baptized, yeah. then, then it will go to the purgatory. Ah, to the, to okay, heaven. yeah. So, so, uh, so, but for the for the so, if if a Buddhist thinker traces awareness back like this, he he has to say at one point, 
I can't find the original cause. Because everything is caused, it needs to become. So there's always a, like a cause. There's not like a, a nothing and then suddenly there's something. There needs to be always a cause. So that's why this kind of logical argumentation for Dhammakirti proves that there is beginninglessness of consciousness, of awareness. And there's also, of course, beginninglessness of the causes and conditions uh, which are uh, responsible for matter. In, in the school of uh, the school you are teaching from, mm. uh, does they make a difference between matter and consciousness? Um, in, in, uh, like how you have been teaching mm. this weekend? Both is both are empty, yeah. yeah. Both are empty, and uh, the, this would be a good question to ask uh, ask the geisha. But definitely, if you go into the tantric teachings, then. Uh, Consciousness and matter are just different frequency of the kind of same thing. Yeah. yeah. No, and uh, Friedrich was talking because I was really like uh, thinking about this. Uh, uh, we have both been with a lot of people right before, at, and after death. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's very obvious that some things leave body. Mm. And then, then I said, Something is leaving, and the body is still there. Mm. And then we talked about it a little, and then I, mm. then I, I, then we like, well, the one that is leaving the body does not let, no longer have any no sense because they are in the body. Yeah, yeah. But it is me who is in the room. Yeah, yeah. I still see the illusion of the body being there. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, like from a Mahamudra point of view, so you're seeing a body there. Where is that mental image of the body? In, in my posture. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And what is that mental image made from? Consciousness. You could never check if there's something material out there. Because all what you perceive is in the nature of consciousness. Maybe there's only one stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For me I'm I'm a fan of that. Mm. <laughs> It works for me. Mm. Yeah. So this division between matter and consciousness. Uh, made sense in my argumentation now uh, when I tried to give the logical reasoning for rebirth in the Buddhist thought, but now we become more sophisticated, <laughs> yeah. which is also a bit confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, but so, so then we go back to this other first, the, the realist saying, 
okay, if there's not a person, but if there's not a center, what is being reborn? Yeah, I, that is like, and I didn't answer the question because it's an open-ended question. The whole Buddhist teaching is an open, open-ended question, and of course we would like to, uh, we would like to have the answers. Yeah, but it's not like that. Uh, uh, is are you still uh, reflecting on that? What is being reborn? What, what? Yeah, no, oh. I am reflecting about this karma uh, because mm. it seems that uh, you said that uh, yeah, there is no essence, there is no self. Mm-hmm. The, these people think that they are going to love to them. Mm-hmm. Yes, but it's not like it's a mistaken view. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, there is something else going from yeah. life to life, and this called karma. Yeah, but so it, what what does it? Uh, yeah, the person is dead, yeah. but the karma is still uh, going so, on. So now, first thing the Madhyamika would say is there is something there that's already a mistake. There is nothing there. There's nothing findable there. And when we ask this kind of question, we are lo- always looking for a kind of essence. You say, there, is some, there must be something there, findable. Yeah? So, that something which is there for sure is empty. <laughs> yeah? Because, uh, yeah, so. But now we can, we can continue. Yeah? So, <laughs> knowing that that something which is there is empty. So, um, uh, I mean, the best I can come up with is yeah, kind of metaphors or images which can man- maintain that sense of continuity, which is important for us because we need that for practicing the Dharma, a sense of continuity. So, some, if you would ask uh, 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 some teachers, some Tibetan teachers, and they would have just short time to answer, they would say something like this. There is a stream of consciousness, beginningless, coming from beginninglessness, going into eternity. So, a stream of consciousness. So this stream of consciousness is a mixture of a a very subtle, very, very subtle level of mind, what is called Rigpa, the sky, kind of, and something which is called Alan Wallace calls it the Subtrat Consciousness, or it's called the, in Sanskrit the Alaya Vijnaya. It's kind of, uh, it's not our normal daily superficial consciousness. It's, it's also called storehouse consciousness. So it's, a, it's like, a, it's not conscious, so it's like pre-conscious. It's not the same as the unconscious of the psychoanalytic analytic thing, but somehow something like that. Yeah? So, in this stream, and it's non-material, yeah? so it's, it's, it's 
awareness. It's it's non-material, and it's it's not depending on matter. Yeah. Uh, so this stream of consciousness uh, carries energetical residues of your of actions. When I say you are, your actions, it's a bit difficult. Uh, of actions. And these actions have consequences. They, they, you know, and then we have to look into the teachings on karma, how that works, and you know how we create, and how karma. Who, who takes the consequences? Nobody. Nobody. No. When you say who, then you are looking for something in that stream which is permanent, so not lasting. The not the world, not the universe. What kind of consequences are they then? They, they create suffering. Uh, for everybody. Uh, uh, they create suffering within the experience of that stream of consciousness. So if you, if you. Uh, I say again, you. Uh, isn't there another word? <laughs> uh, so if I say you now, I'm not pointing to a, to an essence. So I still want to use the word. So if you have killed a person, in whoever, you know, whenever it was, that energetic residue carries is is carried uh, within within that stream of consciousness. And at one point, it will create a certain experience. It will call a certain experience, but it also influences what kind of decisions and what kind of actions arise from that stream of consciousness. And the consequences, they are experienced as suffering by nobody. Conventionally, you would say they create suffering in that person in which, in which that stream of consciousness, no, that person which arises out of that stream of consciousness, including the world this person is living in, which is called Stefan. So conventionally I could say, who is suffering? Stefan is suffering. Yeah, yeah, but still, it sucks. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's suffering. Then if I look for suffering as something existing really, I won't find it. And I won't find Stefan. But suffering is happening. And Stefan is caught in that dream of suffering. In the same way, other other people are caught in their dream of suffering. It's wonderful how, with what kind of conviction I can express something <laughs> I have no clue about. <laughs> and you are just like... <laughs> it's so wonderful to sit here. Uh, sometimes. Uh,
Yeah, but that, that one of the karmic laws is that no karma goes away. No karma goes away. No. But actually, as a practitioner, you would be more happy when that karma would arise. And actually, that's why you would do Vajrasattva practice. So Vajrasattva practice is a practice where you help negative karma, the karma of killing, to arise in a situation where you can respond to it in a in a good way, where you can hold it. Yeah? The only way karma gets purified in the in, in the sense of healing it deeply is to realize emptiness. Until then, the only way you have is through ritual, through practices, to make it ripen in a way that it might not lead into a birth of hell. So instead of it ripens into two years of having headache while you say the mantra every day. So that's why sometimes it's creating a lot of uh, problems. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, there should be a big uh, warning sign on the Vajrasattva practice. <laughs> Yeah, if you do that to feel good, uh, that's not going to happen. If you do a successful Vajrasattva practice, then stuff will come up. And, and, and you want to come it up because if it, becomes, if it comes up at, in the death process, then you are in trouble. <laughs> 